Time with your host, Coach Danielle McCartney. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartney. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Hey, I hope you guys found me in my new time slot here just for today. It's at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is 60 Minute Overtime with your host, Is Daniel McCartan. That's me. Uh, my quick uh, shout-out to my work here, prosportsrundown.com. Twitter, those of you guys following me on Twitter, thank you. Retweets already, awesome. Uh, at Coach McCartan. YouTube, search Coach Space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. Oh boy, on demand, iTunes, and uh, play.google.com, Coach McCartan there, and on TuneIn Radio, 60 Minute Overtime. You're listening to, obviously, 60 Minute Overtime. This is episode 12 already of the spring of 2017, opening day across baseball. We got, let me see, we got the Yankee game going on right this second. The Rays just took a, I was just watching that before coming on air, Rays just took a one-zip lead. We are video simulcast right now on Periscope, at Coach McCartan, and on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, and you. So thanks, and, and let's get started here. So we are going to be 1.30 to about 2.30 today. Today's guests at 1.40, we got Tom Barton calling in, host of Fox Sports Radio at 13.40 a.m. Las Vegas, owner of TomBartonSports.com. Those of you guys watching on video, see that? That's my Las Vegas Raiders cap I got right on. <laughs> Um, and uh, second guest today is going to be Mohamed Sanu, Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, played in Super Bowl 51. And third guest today is going to be at 2.15, Wayne Randazzo. He is pre, post, and play-by-play, every man, for the New York Mets radio over there on 710 AM WOR, the official radio home of the New York Mets. All right, so topics for today. It's official. The Raiders are moving to Las Vegas. That's what we're going to open with. My interview with Mohamed Sanu, Atlanta Falcons wide receiver. We discussed a lot of different things in our six minutes together. NCAA tournament is set, and it's opening day across the MLB. Sprinkled in there will be our uh, hurry-up offense, right? That's the uh, sports minute and uh, the what-the-f segment. That's a good one today. You're going to be surprised at that what-the-f story today. All right, and then uh, and that's it. So let's let's just do it. Let's go in for it. So yes, I played this last week, and yes, now it is official that the Raiders are going to wake up in Las Vegas starting in 2020. Actually, there's rumors that they may even be going sooner, be packing their bags sooner. But we'll talk to Tom Barton about that. It is official. It is going to be the Las Vegas Raiders. Actually, it was a 31 to 1 vote in favor of the move. That's almost unanimous. And uh, the only person that did not vote yes on that was Miami Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross. He said no. And this was a quote from him. My position today was that we as owners and the league owe it to the fans to do everything we can to stay in the communities that have supported us until all options have been exhausted. I was to wish Mark Davis and and the Raiders organization the best in Las Vegas. Uh, He's also a guy that comes from the school of thought is that leagues and the team should pay for stadiums, not public dollars. Well, you know, that's all good, but that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. And uh, 
what are you going to do about it? Um, and he also had uh, issues with his team in Miami, um, you know, building a new stadium for the Miami Dolphins. He wanted to have the tourists of Miami pay for the stadium, but that's exactly what Las Vegas is doing, having the tourists pay for it. Well, a lot, a big chunk of it. I know I'm paying for it when I go out there in my, my hotel fee in June. So, you know, this guy's kind of pot calling the kettle black, in, in my opinion. So, Stephen Ross, good. That's okay. You voted no just to get your voice heard, you know, with the, with your no vote, and, and, and that's fine. And that's fine. But the truth of the matter is that the Raiders are moving to Las Vegas with a 30-to-1 vote. And uh, and that's that. Is this Tom Barton? Yes, this is. All right. Hey, so how are you? Good. How are you? Okay, this is Tom Barton. He's the radio host of Fox Sports 1340 AM in Las Vegas, owner of com. And, Tom, last time we talked, you were pretty skeptical about the Raiders moving to Vegas. It's done now. What are you thinking? It is officially done pretty much, right? I mean, wow, it happened so quick. I was skeptical because you hear it a lot. There were so many hoops to go through. And the funny thing is, is it's finished, um, but it's still not finished. I mean, it's finished and there's no stadium in place, right? It's finished and 67% of Las Vegans don't want their taxes raised. Um, It's finished and they're still not coming there for three years. So, (laughs) you know, there were hoops to, to jump through. But, man, I'm excited. I am really pumped up. I'm very excited for this. I know some of Las Vegas, um, they're not too happy. You know, they they don't want them here. They they don't like the idea. They they don't like the the traffic. They don't like the fact that the school systems in Las Vegas are not very good. And they just spent $750 million on on a stadium. I, I understand all that. I just think it's so huge and so monstrous for Las Vegas. You have to be happy. I mean, I have been on on the train since the beginning. <laughs> Even when uh, Alderson pulled out, I was like, you know what? There's they're, they're going to get it done. If they want it, they're going to get it done. And um, so, listen, on Fox Sports, what have the callers calling in? I mean, obviously, it's a sports show, so they're probably going to be pro. But has anybody, I don't know, what, what's the reaction among your callers? No, shockingly, they're not. You know, it, it's funny because when the speculation had come that this was going to happen, um, Almost universally, people that we got the callers and people through Twitter uh, just absolutely were, were pumped up. Then, as it got closer, you started to hear the people, uh, you know, little by little, not so happy. And I just did a, a show last night, and again, still people are just—it's not a universal. Oh my God, we can't wait to have them, and I think it should be. I, I'm trying to convince them that this is a very good thing. But I do understand some of the speculation of what what can go wrong. You know, what are, what are these things? You know, remember, Las Vegans and, and people that are there, they're used to paying no taxes, right? I mean, literally, just there's no taxes. Well, their taxes are going to go up. They want to put it out on, onto the casinos and put it on to the people that are visiting. But if you do that, maybe that business goes down. Um, they're planning to put the... the, the <laughs> stadium. When I say on the strip, I mean it is going to be as close to the strip as you possibly can put it. Yes. And most people that live in Las Vegas avoid the strip like the plague because of the <laughs> horrendous traffic. Now imagine that. And it's not just Sunday. You know, they're thinking, what else is going to go there? Is there going to be an MLS team? Are they going to use the stadium for other things? Of course they are. So it just gets into a uh, an adjustment period where Las Vegas is a big city. 
but they're still market 40, right? I mean, they're still market 40. They're not a huge city. All of a sudden, people are looking and they're saying, man, in three years from now, we become a massively huge city. And a lot of people left massively huge cities to go out there. That's an interesting point. You know, I have friends out there. I think I might have mentioned it. But uh, my friends, I posted on Facebook, you know, an article, congratulations, Las Vegas Raiders. They were like, listen, they didn't even give the chance to the Golden Knights and the NHL to even get a chance to shine yet out there. But, you know, I tried telling them that the Raiders aren't coming until 2019, 2020. The Knights, the Golden Knights have time. Mm, I don't know about that. And the, and the Knights owner doesn't really agree with you. The Knights owner has been... Um, very marketing-wise and very cautiously bashing this Raiders move. You know, originally they said, hey, welcome to the town, and it's all great. But when you hear interviews with him, he's saying things like, um, you know, well, I funded this on his own. And he did. Look, the, the, the hockey owner funded everything on his own. Uh, I didn't want to take away from people from Las Vegas. He's trying to use the angle of that, that the Golden Knights will be Vegas's team um, because I funded it and I looked out for the owners and things like that where the Raiders are just another fly-by-night by kind of team. That's what he's trying to use. I don't know if it's going to work or not. The problem is this. I never believed that hockey would survive in Las Vegas. I still don't. Um, if we talk again, Danielle, in five years, I'll look like an idiot. But if we talk again in 15 years, I might look like a genius because it's going to work initially early, but it's, it's not a sustainable product. It's a, a product that's on the decline. He knows he's got just more competition now. He figured, the, 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 the owner of the hockey figured, I got three years. People are already freaking out about the Raiders. Every story is about the Raiders. We are months away from having a first professional hockey team in the city of Las Vegas, the first professional sports team in the city of Las Vegas, and all anyone wants to talk about is let's talk about the Raiders. You know, it took a lot of shine off the, uh, the apple that was the Golden Knights. But I will say this, I've asked, over and over, guys. When are you guys? When are you Vegas fans going out and buying Raiders gear and giving up your team, right? And uh, pretty much to a man, people go, "No, I'm not doing it. I hope they lose." Uh, you know, even if you're a fan of the, uh, even if you're a fan of the move to get a, a pro sports team there, no one's going out and buying jerseys. The, the Golden Knights, they are. They're selling T-shirts, selling jerseys, selling hats. So I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think that right now the Raiders fiasco is taking over the city. It is the number one talking point. It's everything everybody wants to talk about. But I think you're, you're kind of right as well. Once it starts getting going and they actually have a pro team, I think people will accept the, the hockey for the first three, four, maybe five years. Now listen, if it's going to be any team, aren't you happy it's the Raiders? They're a good product. They have Derek Carr with talent locked in for a while. Why hasn't anybody, I don't know, why are people still resistant to the team, the Raiders, the team? Oh, what a great question. And I asked this last week, and I followed it up again this week on my show. The Raiders are the worst possible team to come in here. And look, you said it. I love Derek Carr. I did a draft preview a couple of years ago. I said he's going to be one of the top five best quarterbacks in the league in five years, and I'm not that far off the mark. I love Khalil Mack. I watch these guys. They have everything. You're a legitimate Super Bowl contender coming to your team. Problem is the Raiders have the aura behind them. They have bad fans that follow them. They have violence. They have issues in the stadium. The, the Los Angeles Raiders, then the Oakland Raiders, then the LA Raiders, then the Oakland Raiders, they've always been known to be 
you know, the mean guys, the team that you root against, and especially on the West Coast, a lot of people that live in Las Vegas are anti-Raider fans. You know, they're San Francisco fans, or, or you know, they, they came from other areas where, you know, Denver fans and things like that, where they just didn't like the Raiders. I think if this was the Jacksonville Jaguars, it might be thought of a little bit differently. And no, they wouldn't be as good, but it would be Vegas's team. There's a lot of people that just will not accept the fact that the Raiders are moving to Las Vegas, and it's because they are the Raiders, and they're the hated Raiders. I didn't realize the hate until I started asking the question, and I started to, to ask the question and say, hey, look, if this was another franchise, if this was the Jacksonville Jaguars that became the, the Las Vegas Jaguars, would there be a different sentiment? And, and it's pretty big that, yes, it would be. People would have rathered a bad Jaguars team than a good Raiders team because they just don't like the Raiders. Oh, I find. I, was just, I just wrote down a question. But when they win, when people win, people tend to jump on board. And there's some person listening on. Um, she said she's a nurse in Las Vegas. She says, uh, you're making her mad. <laughs> Please don't compare California fans to Las Vegas fans, she said. <laughs> well, there are no real Las Vegas fans, so it's a blank slate. That's one thing that I love about Vegas is it is a blank slate. There's no product. Look, UNLV basketball and football is a complete and utter destitute failure, okay? No one shows up to the games. Their teams are bad. They're awful. There is no viable commodity that we can look at and say these are the fans. So there are no Las Vegas fans. We don't know what the Las Vegas fan is. You know, we just don't. We don't know if they're going to be rabid fans that, yes, the, the Raiders come in, they win, and it's outstanding. And in, in 10 years from now, they have a fan base like Tennessee. Remember, the Titans didn't have a team, right? And now they have a great fan base. Are Vegas fans going to be like that? Or are Vegas fans going to be the way that they treat UNLV and the way that they treat, treat their their teams that are there now. The Las Vegas fans are fickle because we don't know what a quote-unquote Las Vegas fan is. I hope, I really, really hope that people jump on board, that this becomes the big city mentality, and, and this is a sustainable two-pro-team city, uh, and it's fantastic. But, Danielle, I've stood in the UNLV Stadium and Thomas and Mack Center. I've stood on UNLV Field. Uh, at Sam Boyd Stadium, I stood at the 51's playoff game, the New York Mets minor league playoff game. I've stood there where the stadium is in a quarter full. They just, my experience as of this point, is they do not support their sports teams. But, with all that said, it's football. It's different. The stadium's going to be packed. I worry about long-term sustainability, though. Well, I, yeah, I just wrote a note down that you're kind of comparing here. You're comparing a pro football team to a college team, uh, a AAA affiliate. I mean, you don't even get state uh, stadium uh, sellouts over here for the Yankees in, in Scranton. So I just think that the pro sports is just a different animal than UNLV College or, or, or whatever, or the 51's playoff game. Because you saw with the, um, the uh, what was it, the Cubs came and played the Reds there at the 51 Stadium. Sold out, right, for a couple different days. Well, it, it'll be sold out, and, and the Raiders will do fine for ticket sales. This is more a, a Golden Knights thing. Do, do you believe that people are going to take a family of four to the Strip on a Saturday night uh, to watch the Golden Knights play, you know, the New York Islanders? I don't think that's going to happen. And not now. Look, it'll happen early on because they're a novel idea. It's great. But look at the NHL numbers across the board. And we went over this. There are teams 
that are, are the, the, the Islanders are 47% viewership down from last year. There are six teams in the NHL that are more than 35% viewership down. The Stanley Cup was 28% viewership down from the following year. The NHL is on a spiral downhill. The MLS is doing better numbers than, than hockey, okay? So hockey in general just hurts. And the thing about hockey is you don't have that superstar. You don't have, you can't just put a guy on a billboard and you go, well, you know what, the Angels stink, but I'm going to watch Mike Trout. No, you can't do that in hockey because nobody knows. Go into a sports bar in Las Vegas, ask people, who's the number one American hockey player? Give me the top five American-born hockey players. Give me the top ten hockey players overall. No one's going to have any idea. With the Raiders, you're right, it's different. They're going to sell out. The problem is they're not selling out to the everyday fan. The casinos will buy it up. The special guests will buy it up. It'll almost become a Yankee Stadium feel where it's going to be hard for a family of four or five to go to more than one Raiders game a year because the prices are going to be astronomical. Yeah, that's that's the one thing. That's my number one complaint about the New York Yankees as I watch them now streaming live that, that most of the fan base is made up of those guys in business suits that they're gone by the fifth inning and the real fans are sitting in the nosebleeds. So that that... Maybe, yeah, that I agree with you. But listen, I talked to, I don't know if you had seen, but I talked to Devin, Jason McCourty, um, and Mohamed Sanu about playing in Las Vegas. And they all talked about how they wouldn't want to be the home team in terms of distractions. So my question to you is, and this is something I was talking to my, I think my dad about, in terms of violations due to distractions, you know, and we, they have the, we have the Miamis of the world, we have the New Yorks of the world, but Vegas is a different animal. I am of the belief that the NFL should impose a league-wide rule in terms of whatever, curfew or getting into things that are illegal. I don't believe it should be left up to individual teams to punish the the players in violation of these these rules here. What do you think? I don't think so. I think they're grown men and, and, and you have to just deal with it. Um, I was on Pittsburgh Radio this morning, you know, and I was asked a very similar question. And they had Drew Brees uh, have, have a quote, and, and he said, how much different is Las Vegas than Bourbon Street? And, and the answer is, it's really not. It's not that much different. How much, is, how much different is it than New York City? You know, how much different is it than L.A. and, and this, these cities around the world? Yeah, you, you can get in trouble in any city at any time, on any given night. Tuesday night, you know, nothing's going on. Two o'clock in the morning in Cleveland, you could find trouble if you're making millions of dollars. I don't think you, you have the right to impose sanctions here. If it becomes a problem, sure. But when New Orleans opened up a, a franchise, everybody believed that this would be a problem. Everybody kind of freaked out. And, and look, it has been. Sometimes there's a Super Bowl here and there. But overall, it's not something that we constantly hear. And you can get in just as much trouble in New Orleans as you can in Las Vegas. Um, it's maybe a different kind of trouble, but you really can. I, I don't think that the league should put down any rules. If the team wants to, sure, look, that's your right. But I don't believe that we're going to see a massive influx of home team players getting in trouble. I think they'll get used to it. Uh, I've been going to Vegas so much. When I go, I barely see the Strip. I barely go to the Strip. My, my 20, 25 closest friends out there, they don't go to the Strip. And I think that eventually, after the novelty wears off, you'll see the home team in a couple of years kind of be the same way. The Strip novelty does wear off. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree with that, too. Now, I, when I asked Jason McCordy, he said he opened the interview by saying, 
who doesn't want to play in Las Vegas? And then he goes, as long as it's not summertime. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure that the stadium's going to have a dome on it. And he goes, okay, then all the better. Fi- sign me up. Now, I was listening a little bit to another show, I believe. What still needs to be done? Obviously, there's parking. Obviously, there needs to be widening of sidewalks. I mean, this is, you know, what still needs to be done? There's a whole lot of work left ahead, right? <laughs> How long is your show? <laughs> How much more needs to be done? I, I, I mean, look, we keep saying that it's finished, it's done um, I was on a show that followed Oscar Goodman, right? The, the former mayor and his wife is now mayor of Las Vegas. And he kind of alluded to the fact that it's not done. There's no guarantee that the Raiders are coming to Vegas um, because there's still so many things to happen. We've seen stadium deals fall through before. We've seen stadium construction fall through before. We've seen so many problems and so many issues. Think about it like this. They, are, they just this weekend tested the ground to find out if a stadium could go there. So if those tests came back negative, right, and the and stadium couldn't go there, now we're back to square one. And this is step one. I mean, step one was to test the, the validity of the, the ground underneath where the stadium would be. We didn't even start putting up beams. You didn't even start doing anything. So there's so, so, so much. You said parking and, and uh, you know, curbs and Who's going to handle the, the, the uh, marketing? Who's going to handle the idea of, okay, wait a minute, we have to have the building instructions. Look, the one thing I know about Las Vegas is they can put a building up in no time. I, I watched you know, the T-Mobile Arena go up in what seemed like a couple of months to me. <laughs> they, they're they're very, in, in, you know, very, very design, good for the design of putting up buildings and, and very quickly getting it through and, and passing it through. But there are a million other options. There are a million other things that you have to worry about. Um, the police force, they're always looking for police. Who's going to police that stadium? Where is that going to come from? The security, where is all, all of these things going to come from? I guess every city kind of has these problems, but being so, so local to Vegas, you know, um, I know, I know that they have a police problem or, or not a police problem, but they have a lack of police problem. I know that the ground validity might be, be a problem. Now it wasn't, but it might. So Danielle, th- we have so much to worry about it. You're, it'll make your head spin. If we start getting into how many things can go wrong between now and 2019. Oh, but if you build it, they will come right. Just like that old movie. <laughs> there, there, there will absolutely be, you know, cars lining up through the desert to go to that game. I'll, I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. I'm going to get press credentials, but I will be at that first game, and I think that every Las Vegan that I speak to will say I will be at that game. You know, they're, they're going to make it a point to make sure that they're there. And I have one more question for you. I was watching TV last night, or Yankee game actually, the Atlanta Braves new stadium. They just built a new stadium. It has mesh seats so that your butt and back don't sweat in the heat. I think that's an excellent idea. But what is, like, your top amenity that you'd like to see included in this in this stadium? Regardless of any drawings you've seen, what do you want to see in that stadium? Oh, wow. <laughs> that You know, I think, um, I, I think being part of TomBartonSports.com, and this will never happen, okay? Well, not never, but it won't happen immediately. Um, in England, in the stadiums that they play the NFL, in the stadiums that they play soccer, they have betting windows set up. So you could bet right inside. You go get yourself a hot dog, you could walk right next door, and you have little betting windows that you could bet on games. Uh, I want that. 
That's what I want. But the other thing, you know, if you want to talk for a more grand scale, in Seattle, in Safeco Field, they have TVs virtually everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I mean everywhere. My big problem about going to an NFL game is you're missing all the other games. So if you want to do something that, that is an amenity, you like Safeco Field. Put other games on all the TVs inside. So if you have action, remember, we're in Las Vegas. If you have action on the Bears and Packers game, you can go to a certain section, watch five minutes of that game, but you already paid your, your tickets to the Raiders, so it's no big deal. That would be cool. That would be interesting. Again, something I don't think will ever happen. Or what they can do, and, and that would be great for fantasy sports too, but you know like when you go on an airplane and they have like little TVs in every seat, wouldn't that be cool? That would be great. That would be great. The, the problem is, is that they don't want to distract you from the product on the field, which I understand, but Las Vegas is a city where people are going to, I don't care who you are, 80% of those people in that stadium are going to have money on another game that day. You know, they just are. So why not give them the other game? And like you said, yeah, for fantasy purposes, that would be great. How about a scoreboard that, that updates you on fantasy players? That would be kind of cool, too. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know if I, they did it, but I think the Jets were toying with an idea that you can use your phone if you're on, like, the Jets Wi-Fi, you can use your phone to check into any other games, and it kind of came with your ticket. I don't know if they rolled that out or not, but I know they were talking about it. Yeah, that's a good idea as well. And, and you know, I brought up the, the idea of putting the betting windows in, and somebody in Vegas uh, you know, said to me, one of, one of my, my gambler friends, he said, I have the phone app. I don't need that. You know, so everybody already might have the phone app. I just... Uh, I, I just think about being in my business and going, man, oh, yeah, I got I to gotta leave here now to go make another bet? No, no, you don't. Well, I got a phone app or I'm going to the betting window. <laughs> All right, Tom. So I have uh, Chris Wynn. He's listening in, too. Uh, your buddy over there at Fox. <laughs> uh, someone just said, gambling can make you moderately wealthy if you start out extremely wealthy. Okay, whatever that means. No, gambling <laughs> can make you very, very wealthy. If you're able to take the slow steps, it, it's like anything else in the business. Put in the work, start out slow, don't look to be a millionaire, and, and you can do it. I mean, look, I, I'm a prime example. I was in sports radio for, uh, you know, the first 15 years of my life, uh, my professional life. I got into this business uh, about eight years ago. Since then, I bought a house. I paid for a wedding. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not, look, I'm not a millionaire. But I've done it all, betting on sports. You can do it. You just got to do it at extreme discipline, and, and it's able to be done. All right, Tom. So uh, where can people just follow your work and, and listen to your show live? Well, it's TomBartonSports.com. Uh, you can listen to me live. We are now on a double station. Fox Sports is not only on the AM side, but it's also a 98.9 uh, on the FM side as well. So it's crystal clear signal. We're hoping that that will be the FM side for the Los Angeles or, or Oakland or wait, wait, Las Vegas Raiders. We're hoping that <laughs> at least uh, from my point of view. And I keep doing that, by the way, Danielle, to point out because people go, oh, man, oh, the Raiders are an institution. So I keep poking fun because, no, they're not. They move all the time. They only move within a couple of, of, of feet of each other, you know, from Oakland to L.A., but they move all the time. So this isn't like one of those teams that have been in the area for, for generations and generations. So I do poke a little fun at them. <laughs> all right, Tom. Well, always a pleasure talking with you. Um, and I'm coming out there in June. I don't know if I told you that. I, I might have mentioned it before, but I hope to see you when I'm out there. Yeah, that would be great. We, we should definitely uh, set that up. We could all go out. Awesome. All right, Tom. Thanks for, for checking in. Have a good one, guys. You too. Bye.
<laughs> All right, so Tom said that his rig- Las Vegas Raiders stadium wish was a betting window. Here's what I would like to see, obviously in an ideal world, from the Las Vegas Raiders stadium. This is what I would like to see. Number one, I would like to see Las Vegas, well, first and foremost, Las Vegas should stay true to its identity. So I think, first of all, there should be a welcome to Las Vegas sign. You know the one. You know the one, right by Mandalay Bay. There should be one of those inside the stadium somewhere that people can pose with and take pictures with. That's That has to be. That, that just has to be there. Then first, I think the stadium should have a pool party-like venue. Like think about the Clevelander pool party club thing that's in the Miami Marlins Stadium. I'd like to see that there. Second, I would like to see a row of bars right outside the stadium so that you don't have to go far like Yawkey Way in Boston or which I've never been to but I've been to Utah Street in Baltimore like the bars are literally right there that you can walk 10 feet into the stadium that I think people would want to make a, a day out of it and I think people would want to go there first and then go into the stadium also in an ideal world we live in a in a ride sharing world everybody like people don't always drive to the game especially if you're drinking and especially if you know there's a uh, a monorail system or whatever New Jersey Transit goes into the uh, MetLife Stadium but I would wish my my preferred way to do this was is to take a, a, an Uber or a Lyft into the stadium so I would like to see that you know if you look at the piece of land it's it's pretty much rectangular over there I would like to see that each corner has like a different ride sharing entrance an exit, like a round circle, like like the, uh, the hotels all do have there. Like you go in, you get in the car, and you go around. You get in, you get in the car, and they leave. So that's what I like to say. See on each of the four corners, take an Uber to the game, because there's Las Vegas. The city isn't that big. I can't imagine, and I, I guess Chris Wynn, if he's going to call in, would would be able to tell me better. But to get from one end of Las Vegas to the other, I really don't think it would be that much in in cost in an uber or a lyft because we had gone from miami beach to you know which is the miami beach area and you have to go inland back to the mainland to go and get to the miami marlin stadium and that only cost probably like uh, i would want to say maybe like 25 bucks which is not that much if you're sharing it with a group of people and that's even cheaper than paying for parking over there at metlife stadium metlife stadium you got uh Parking is like 40 bucks, $45, 50 bucks. And then you have to get into the VIP lots too. So I don't think it would be that expensive. 60 minute overtime. Is this Chris Wynn? Danielle, what's going on? Hey, Chris. Okay. I, you know, I have this question I was just kind of flushing out here. How much would it right. cost for an Uber to get from like one end of Las Vegas, just say, to right behind Mandalay Bay where they're going to be putting this stadium? Well, it's uh, the Vegas Valley is pretty good size. We're talking about you know, 15, 20 minutes in every direction. It's, uh, there's not really suburbs in Las Vegas, but it is, it's basically one big general area, one big valley. So, I mean, you're looking at, you're looking at probably 25, 30 bucks and that the most. So it's not like ridiculous. Not wouldn't be too bad. Right. And especially if you're sharing the ride with other people, like going all going to the right. game. Right. Okay. So let me just backtrack now. This is Chris Wynn. You're on Fox sports, right? 1340 also. Yeah, right, right, right with uh, Tommy Barton, actually. Same station, so. <laughs> cool. All right, so what is your yeah. take? I, you know, Tom was a little bit 
he's I feel, I feel like he's more of like a realist kind of personality here. But I am right. very excited for the Raiders to be there. What has what have you heard being out there in Las Vegas? Oh, I'm absolutely excited. I think it's a huge win for for the city of Las Vegas. Look, it was already going to be a really cool thing to have the NHL here with the Vegas Golden Knights and and make that first step to actually getting that major league franchise that uh, that kind of like puts you on the map as far as being a quote unquote real city in my opinion in, in the United States. But uh, to be to, to be able to actually piggyback that with an NFL franchise, which look, I mean, the NFL is king in America. Make no mistake about it; it is the league. And uh, you know, the NHL. I don't want to poo-poo getting an NHL franchise here, but. The fact that there are only, what, 30 NFL franchises and now one's going to reside here in Las Vegas, it was an absolute huge get for this town. And uh, it's going to be very special, in my opinion, to uh, have the setup and have the Raiders here in town. Do you think it's going to be like sort of market saturation? I know now people are calling for all kinds of leagues to go out there. MLB, MLS, everybody wants to go there now. But is there a point where it's going to reach saturation? There's only so much that people could pay for tickets to, to go to all these different things? Well, there's no question that could be a possibility, but as of right now, I don't, I don't really see it as being an issue. I think it's going to, I think we'll be smart about it. It's not going to be necessarily, you know, open the floodgates time, right? Where you're going to want to bring in, you know, all these franchises at one time, the NHL will be here coming up in, in the fall and, uh, you know, and we'll gradually kind of work our way in it's going to take probably two years at least to get that stadium built. And, uh, of course, that's one of the interesting dynamics also is, you know, what the, the Raiders are going to do as far as their home since uh, Oakland, it appears, the city council up there and the uh, stadium authority are trying to basically whisk out uh, the Raiders as fast as possible up there. So we, we don't know exactly what's going to be their home situation for the next two to three years, but uh, there's going to be a time period between the, the Golden Knights getting started and then, of course, the Raiders getting here. And so I, I, I don't really anticipate that being a real issue as far as uh, saturation. Yeah, there's been some floating around about a major league franchise coming here, but uh, there really hasn't been any, like, you know, uh, like hardcore uh, plans as far as building a stadium or, or getting that going. And with the T-Mobile Arena here now in town, uh, and I think with as far as the NBA expansion, it would take more. Uh, it's it's more on the NBA and their dynamics and what's going on with the league as far as whether or not they'd want to expand to Las Vegas and and whether or not it'd be a priority to come to Las Vegas as opposed to some other cities. I think like Seattle, which has lost a team, and a couple others that I think would be more of a priority. So it, it's going to be. It's basically it's, it's going to be you know the NHL, and then we're going to of course go with the NFL and and kind of see how it works after that. Now, I have someone just, uh, I don't know if he had seen it on Periscope, but someone just asked me to ask you, are they going to take the Raiders off the sports book? Right now, I've, I've, we've talked to some sports book handicappers and sports book directors around town, and I think they, for the most part, the consensus is that that's not going to be the case. They're going to they're gonna find every possible way to keep the Raiders on the sports book and be able to keep them on the board. So right now, as of right now, I'm, I'm sure that's a focus when it comes to Roger Goodell, the NFL, and uh, and the powers that be here in Vegas. But uh, as of right now, I think the best case scenario for us here in town is that they keep them on the board. 
But uh, that's obviously something that could change, and we'll see exactly what happens later on down the line. Cool. All right. So, I mean, would you – Tom said he'd rather have the Jaguars come. I think if I'm a Las Vegasan or person that lives there, I think I really want the Raiders to come. Who would you have rathered? Oh, absolutely the Raiders for a number of reasons, Danielle. Right. Got you, think You're about good. it, right? I mean, you, I mean, no, no disrespect to the Jaguars or any any other franchise in the NFL for that matter that that would come here, but you, you just don't have the history, you don't have the brand that the Oakland Raiders bring, and you know those of us here in Las Vegas, we've talked about a, a ton on the air. What better franchise? What better brand to come to Vegas than the Raiders? You know, it's it's that renegade you know feel about the franchise. That there's just there's just no better fit when it comes to NFL brands than that team coming to Sin City. So uh, look, it, we're on the West Coast also, so you've got uh, you know the connection with the West Coast fans, and everybody talks about you know like the fans in California are rampant when it comes to. But the, look, there's Raider fans all over the world, and it, and it's a brand that's uh, recognizable. It's one of the more popular brands in the NFL. I mean, some people will, will mention other other teams around the league, but I would argue that the Raiders are are a top three or four brand in in the NFL, and so uh, I, I think the fans will travel. That that's been a big question, also, is that you know is the reaction of the fans up there in Oakland and in California, for that matter, around around the state, and uh, how they'll feel about the team coming here to Las Vegas. I think you know time heals a lot of stuff. And I think eventually, in the end, the, the hardcore fans will come. And, and some of the great players of the past have talked about that. I, I saw an interview actually with uh, uh, with uh, Darren with uh, with uh, Woodson, Charles Woodson, the great the great player with the Raiders, and he talked about it, saying he thinks you know eventually when it rolls around in 2020, 21, 22, the fans will end up coming around, and they'll they'll end up coming down to Vegas, and and uh, it, it'll be a, a tremendous fan experience and atmosphere down here in this town. Now, I know Giant fans around here are already trying to figure out when they're counting the calendar. When can they, when are the Giants playing the Raiders so they can come out? <laughs> oh, you know it's going to be great. Like, I, like for example, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I grew up in Michigan, so I'm just all kinds of excited about seeing them come play here. I mean, it's, it's going to be a running theme, Danielle, here in, here in town. Is and, and people are asking the question, do you think the city will support them? I, I, I just don't see absolutely, absolutely they will. I mean, think about it. There's only 10 dates here where you're going to have a game. You're going to have two you know, exhibition games and you have the eight regular season games. And in this town, what do we like? We like events. We like big-time events. And we're going to turn into a Sunday event, basically, you know, those 10 dates every year. So as far as, like, the fan support and being able to support the team, I don't think it, I think it's an absolute joke to question that. I, I, I absolutely believe it's going to be a, a windfall success here when it comes to supporting the team. And uh, look, here in Las Vegas, we like everything big and we like everything great. We like all the best singers. We like the best entertainers. We like the best magicians. We like all the best sports leagues. And, you know, I don't want to disparage, you know, the the AAA baseball or, you know, the uh, East Coast Hockey League that was here with the Las Vegas Wranglers, but it's just not the same. We're getting the best leagues now. When you're talking about the NHL, it's the best hockey league in the world. Obviously, the National Football League is the best football league in the world. You know, if the NBA does come in Major League Baseball, once again, it is the best that you can get. So I think that's a huge factor 
when it comes to Las Vegas and when it comes to getting these franchises here in town. All right, Chris. Well, thanks for coming on and talking about this, giving just another perspective of the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm so excited. I uh, hope to see you when I come out there in June. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. All right. Thanks for calling in. Absolutely. Bye. So let me just read to you a, a tweet that Derek Carr, quarterback of the Raiders, had put out in uh, regards to the move to Las Vegas. Derek Carr at Derek Carr QB says, this came down right after the the, uh, the vote, by the way. He says, as I sit here and see a vote that takes the Raiders to Las Vegas, I am overwhelmed with emotion. I don't know how we should feel. I feel the pain of our fans in Oakland. I also see the joy on the faces of our new fans in Las Vegas. As players, we will show up and give everything we have. We will compete and we will do our best to bring a championship to the entire Raider nation. While I am from California and would have loved playing in Oakland my whole career, I understand the business side of the NFL. It affects us all. Oakland, our team loves you, and my family and I love you. We will be resilient, and we will stay together because that's what true Raiders do. We are loyal, even when it's hard. We stick together, especially when it's tough. So Las Vegas, you can count on us bringing a piece of Oakland with us, and you are getting a tough, loyal, and competitive fan base and team. When the time comes, I hope you are ready. For now, it's about 2017 and our diehards in Oakland. God bless, and go Raiders. Here's Jason, myself and Jason McCordy about playing in Las Vegas. All right, if I can cover one current event with you, I want to get your opinion on this. Um, the vote is going to be Monday to move the Raiders to Vegas, if they're going to vote either way or, or not. But what is your take on, on having a team out in Las Vegas? Do you think it's full of distractions? Are you one of those guys? What do you think? Um, to play against them, it sounds exciting, you know, right? to get a chance to go to Vegas. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know how the wives of the players will feel uh, with the guys being in Vegas, but you know, I think what sucks the most about just teams moving in general is just those fans in that city. You know, so uh, the Oakland fans losing the Raiders, a, a, a history team um, that's been there for years, and you remember the Al Davis years and everything that's gone on there, the black hole, and uh, what it's all about. The, uh, the I even even my generation of playing. I've only played in Oakland once, and I still remember how the fans greeted us when we got there. So I yeah. think those type of traditions get lost when teams move, and I think that's the worst part of the whole thing. As a Titan, though, playing in Vegas, yay or nay? Yeah, who doesn't want to play in I Vegas? Know. As know. long as it's not the summertime. I'm ready to move out there. It's <laughs> going to be domed out here at this stage. Okay, oh, that, yeah. well, then all the better. Yeah, sign right. me up. And here's myself and Patriots cornerback Devin McCourty on the Las Vegas Raiders vote. Monday, the vote is going to be uh, for the Raiders to move to Vegas or not. I'm sure it's going to stall, but it seems to be that, th that it's going to happen, it seems to be, and your owner is behind it. Robert Kraft is pretty much behind it. What would you think? Like, you are the opposing team. You're coming into Vegas. Is it a good thing? You know, what, what are your thoughts It's on great for opposing team. You don't have enough time there, and even if you do, you won't get in that. It's a bad for the home team, you know. Yeah. It's tough to be successful with it. Um, I always say I think Miami's a tough place, too. You know, those cities that any day of the week you can go do something for young guys, that's tough. Yeah. Um, but I think it would be cool, you know, to have a team in Vegas, um, be there for some guys all year round, yeah. uh, opposing team coming in, places to eat, things to do. Uh, we would be the team you go in, you can't gamble. So um, that won't be a big deal for uh, yeah. players. But uh, I think it would be exciting. And I would love it because we would probably go in on Friday. Can't beat that. Yeah, so we should move this to the pool parties in Yeah, Vegas. I know. I'll be there. <laughs> this is Noah Syndergaard, pitcher for the New York Mets. You're listening to 60 Minute Overtime on WRPR. 
Oh, it's baseball season again. It's finally here. MLB opening day. Let me tell you, speaking of Las Vegas, Las Vegas is predicting a Red Sox versus Cubs World Series this year. Red Sox and Cubs, what year are we in? People would never in their wildest dreams ever predict a Red Sox-Cubs World Series based on the droughts that they've had you know, in history. So let's quick check in at the Yankee game. Yankees have opened up in Tampa Bay today. Right now they are playing. The score is Rays 5, Yankees 2. They're in the top of the third. That's not what you want to be seeing here. Uh, But today's uh, matchup was uh, Masahiro Tanaka versus Chris Archer. The strength of the Yankees, definitely the baby bombers. Greg Bird had a huge spring. Aaron Judge is getting the start in right field over Aaron Hicks. That's what people have been wanting to see for a very long time. Also, they have the Yankees have a great bullpen. Seven innings, seven, eight, and nine. They have Batantis in the eighth, Chapman coming in in the ninth. If the Yankees can take a lead into the eighth inning or seventh inning, they're going to win the game based on the bullpen. The weakness, though, of the Yankees is going to be their starting pitching rotation. We're looking at Tanaka, Sabathia, Pineda, Severino. This struggle. With the starting pitching for the Yankees is not a new thing. It's just not new. They really haven't been really able to address this issue, and I'm not really sure why, but it's not a new thing. We got people hating on the Yankees. They're they're on Periscope saying, go anybody but the Yankees. Yeah, okay. I'm actually a Yankee fan, <laughs> but I'm wearing this because Wayne Randazzo is going to be calling in momentarily. This Mets t-shirt here. Um but again, I, I really feel that Brian Cashman hasn't really done enough to address the starting pitching weakness that is in the New York Yankees. That has been a problem with the New York Yankees for a long time. I would say that at least the past three years. They're bringing in bats. They're bringing in Halliday. Uh, you know, he's wearing number 17 now, Halliday. You know, I, I don't know. I just don't think that, that the starting pitching is going to be there to carry the Yankees deep into the postseason like we're expecting or like fans are expecting. <laughs> Someone just said that the Yankees are going to finish last in their division. Let's go Mets. <laughs> uh, by the way, though, ESPN did rank the Yankees as the number one top-loaded, like young talent-possessing team in the league. So there's that about the Yankees. And let's just take a look in now. Let's, let's check the box score for the Yankees. I really not so uh, let's see. Here it is. Box score. Let's see. Let's make this a little bit brighter here. We got, uh, let's see, we're in the third inning, bottom of the third. So who's got some hits? Uh, you know, and Brett, by the way, Brett Gardner has been with the Yankees for 10 seasons. I thought he was on the training block last year. Yeah, he just needs to be p- picking it up on the base paths, in, in my opinion. Hits. Uh, Starling Castro has a hit. Chase Headley has a hit. That's a little surprising. And uh, Aaron Judge. So the bottom third of the lineup has gotten hits for the New York Yankees. Gardner 0 for 2. Sanchez 0 for 2. I'm not really sure why uh, Joe Girardi is batting Gary Sanchez second. I kind of was scratching my head at that this lineup here because Gardner's leading off. Okay, fine. But Sanchez up second. The guy hits bombs. Greg Bird up third. He hits bombs. What I would have done was had obviously Gardner leading off. Then I would have put Castro batting second, followed by Sanchez, then Bird. Bird in the cleanup spot. 
Because it doesn't really make sense to put Gary Sanchez, a slugger, hitting second. Because if Gardner doesn't get on, and by the way, the one hit I did see before for Gary Sanchez was a comebacker right up to the mound. He doesn't have any speed. <laughs> he was out by a mile. So I'm wondering uh, what Joe Girardi's thought process was to, to have Gary Sanchez hitting second. And then Torres, I could see speedy guy at the, at the bottom of the lineup to get on. Then, then you're looking at if Torres gets on, it's Torres, then Brett Gardner, and then Sanchez is coming on right after that. That that I would like to see at the top of the lineup. So for the New York Mets, though, the Mets open their season tomorrow. Tomorrow afternoon, I think at 1.05 p.m. at City Field. And is this Wayne Randazzo? It is. Hey, Wayne. This is Danielle. 60-minute <laughs> overtime. Hi, Danielle. Okay, so Wayne Randazzo, guys, he's the Mets pre, post, and play-by-play on 710 AM WOR, which is the official radio home of the New York Mets. So if you turn on the radio... You're going to hear Wayne Randazzo talking New York Mets. <laughs> okay, Wayne, before we talk about Mets, i got to bring up, last week on my show I talked about how the World Baseball Classic games are on TV way too late. Agree or disagree? Yeah, agree. I, I, I championed that pretty hard during the uh, WBC. I think it's a great event, and I think it's, it's one that you know could use a, a little boost as far as getting people to buy into it. Um, Publicly, I, I think that I think there's a good market for it. Um, not everybody's a fan, you know. Certainly, not even every player is a fan of it. But I, I think that there are enough fans of the World Baseball Classic to show these people uh, a good product, and I, I think people want to watch baseball as much as possible, good baseball, meaningful baseball, and I think the WBC provides that uh, every four years, which I think is is a is a fine time to run it. And uh, I think, you know, USA against the Dominican Republic sells out Marlins Park. It sells out Petco Park. And yet it's on at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern, especially the, the, the San Diego portion of the, that tournament. So, uh, yeah, I think it could, it could use a, a little better time slot so that most of the country can, can watch most of the games and not have to stay up till 2 a.m. Or, or find out the next day what happened. I agree. I think that one of the things that they could maybe look into is to stagger the start times so that, for example, Team USA or, or Team Italy doesn't always play at that 10 p.m. Eastern time slot. If they, you know, if they staggered it so that they could play in the afternoon, at least you're going to be able to watch one or two of the games instead of, like, zero. Yeah, they need to figure it out. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something, of course, they have to, if they're in San Diego, they want to have as many people there as possible. Um, on top of the fact that you want people on the East Coast to be able to watch the game. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a blend. Uh, they don't have to have it at 10 p.m. Eastern, though. I think they can figure it out without doing that. You know, Sunday night baseball usually comes on at, at 8 Eastern, regardless of where the location is. So, uh, you know, I think they can, they can find uh, a solution that makes everybody happy, or at least as happy as possible. Now, one of the negatives, it, first of all, it's great baseball, I agree with you, but one of the negatives is the injury chance. And, and right here in New York, we're seeing D.D. Gregorius out until May with an injury sustained in the World Baseball Classic. And in your neck of the woods, Mets pitcher Seth Lugo is going to start the season on the DL. What do you think about that? Well, I, you know, I think in Lugo's case, you, you see uh, inflammation or a dead arm in spring training all the time. I mean, Stephen Metz has uh, been shut down during spring training too and he didn't pitch in the WBC so you know I think that just happens and it, unfortunately for Lugo it seems to have happened 
due to some of his work in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, all the bets also said it could have happened in his last outing where he was trying to push himself uh, a little bit harder because he's trying to make the team. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's just injuries happen in baseball. It's, it's unfortunate. You, you never know. You know, Brandon Nimmo uh, lost most of his spring because of a hamstring injury that he suffered in the World Baseball Classic. I think, you know, you look at it and, and teams, players are pushing themselves harder earlier than they're used to. But then again, injuries happen all throughout spring training, too. So, you know, it's nothing you can really pinpoint and say this is the WBC's fault because I think these guys could also get hurt in practice or in, in regular spring training games just as easily. Maybe it's a little easier to swallow if your player gets hurt in your uniform and not wearing a different one. Yeah, that's true. All right, so let's just go around a couple of the main topics coming from the Mets this offseason, this spring training. First off, I guess we'll talk about what is the impact of Yuri's Familia's 15-game suspension on the Mets? Well, I, I think it's a, a very slight impact at the end of the day. I mean, 15 games is, is not much. It's certainly the, the lightest suspension involving the new uh, domestic violence policy that we've seen. And I, I think as far as the Mets go, you know, you don't want to run Familia into the ground anyway. You give him a, 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 a late start to the season a couple of weeks in. You know, how many safe situations come up over a 15-game period? Uh, I don't know, a handful. Um, Addison Reed's certainly capable of handling those. The bullpen you know, loses some depth, certainly, with Familia not there. But, uh, you know, it's it's no different than just having a, a, a minimal injury to start a season. So uh, I don't think it has much of an impact at all, really. And I think the Mets dodged a bullet in some ways. But, but then again, you know, Jerry's Familia uh, accepts the, the penalty and, and, and goes on, and, and hopefully a, a lesson learned for him. Yeah, I'd, someone just said this on Periscope, too. I agree that if he was a, a rotation guy, it would have been a lot more uh, impactful than, than where he is right now. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't even think that's the case. I think we talk about 15 games. Uh, what's that? Two starts, three starts. I mean, it's not much. So uh, you know, you're hoping that these guys make at least 30 starts. They might miss a few along the way, and it happens. You know, these these guys are are, are pitchers that you're relying on for for heavy doses of innings. Most of them coming back off surgeries. So. You know, if Stephen Matz misses a few weeks early on here, it's not the end of the world, really. It's a long, long, long season, and you just hope Stephen's going to give you the bulk of the time that you expect. Now, your thoughts on Tim Tebow, having seen him throughout spring training? Yeah, Tim's got a lot of work to do. I, I think that he's willing to put that work in, though, uh, which is important. You know, I think he, you know, we saw him with his right hand all bandaged up from all the extra swings he's taken and and getting blistered up uh, on that right hand. So uh, I, I think he's willing to put the work in. I think he'll be, of course, a, a novelty act in the South Atlantic League to start the year. If, if that's where he ends up the whole season, we'll see. But uh, I think he'll he'll definitely uh, be able to, to blossom at the minor league level at, at low A. Unfortunately for Tim, you know, he's older. So he, he has to kind of make up a lot of ground quickly if he really wants an opportunity to be a major league player. So we'll see how it turns out. I think he will get better. I think you'll see a different Tim Tebow in, in September than you did in March. But, uh, you know, how, how quickly can he progress through the system? That's a big question for him. Now my third uh, thing to watch for the Mets, we got Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Wheeler, Gzelman. 
if healthy, the Mets' starting rotation is the best in the MLB, right? Yeah, I think one through five. Uh, I think that if you know you, you look at some teams, they may have a better ace. Certainly, the Dodgers probably have the best ace in baseball. And you look at Boston with Chris Sale and David Price. Uh, and Rick Porcello coming off of Cy Young, that's as good a 1-2-3 as you'll find, even matched up pretty similarly with Syndergaard and DeGrom and Harvey. But I think 1-2-3-4-5, you start to look at the best rotation in baseball. And not to mention that Kesselman's really your number six because Matz is supposed to be in there. So if you get Steven back relatively soon, then, then there's no question that, that this is the best rotation in baseball. they got to keep them out there. And we've already seen Mats go down behind Kesselman. You know, Lugo's inflamed right now. Who, who's the next starter behind Lugo uh, if you need to go that deep? So uh, I, I think the Mets, you know, they, they, they certainly are playing from a strength that most teams don't have. But, you know, the, the ledge kind of falls off. You start to think about Rafael Montero or Sean Gilmartin or somebody like that. If, if you have another injury. So you just hope to keep these guys healthy because if you do, then this team has, has no reason not to win a division title again this year and to go back to the postseason. Now, other than the, the pitching rotation, who are your players to watch for the Mets this season, throughout the entire season, someone you have your eye on? Well, I think this is such a, a veteran-laden team that you expect everybody to just do what they normally do, which should be enough. I think that Jay Bruce is a guy who's going to come back and maybe surprise a lot of Mets fans by driving in runs, by being productive as an offensive player, and I think the Mets expect that. And uh, I think he'll get every opportunity to show them what he was supposed to be when they acquired him from Cincinnati last year. Look at Bruce's season and you see 33 homers and, and 99 RBIs, well, the large majority of that did not come in Mets uniform. So if he has a similar year with those numbers, I think, I think Mets fans will take to his play a lot more than they did last year. And, you know, you know it'll be interesting to see what uh, some of these guys do in contract years, too. Lucas Duda's in a contract year. Uh, Neil Walker is in a contract year. Even Cabrera possibly in a contract year because he has uh, an option for next year. And, and who knows if that's going to get picked up or not. So you do have some guys that are playing for futures as well as playing for a team that they all feel like can be a, a world champion. Now we're talking with Wayne Randazzo, 710 AM WOR radio host. Um, Wayne, my, my position to watch for the New York Mets is catcher for this year. Have you seen improvement from Travis Darno this offseason into spring training? Yeah, you've, you've seen him improve, but you, know, you never know how that's going to translate through the regular season. Will bad habits start to reform if the, if the results aren't what he thought they would be? So yeah, he certainly hit the ball extremely well in spring. He certainly has a different-looking swing, but he's got to continue to hit once the season starts, uh, probably Wednesday when we're going to see Travis behind the plate. Um, you know, Rene Rivera will catch Syndergaard, I'm sure, tomorrow. And maybe as they go forward, as Syndergaard has trouble holding runners on, at least Rene Rivera gives them that. I think Syndergaard and Rene have a good rapport in general when it comes to pitch calling. So I think we'll see Rene Rivera a decent amount, but I, I think that Darno still will get the bulk of the starts, and he's got to show the Mets that he can A, hit, and B, throw out base runners, uh, if and C, call games. So if he can do all those things, in that order, I think, of importance to the Mets. I think the number one thing will be, can he hit? If he can, it will erase 
some of the things that maybe he can't do behind the plate. So it'll, it'll be very interesting to see how Darno attacks this season and how Kevin Ploiecki does at AAA because at one time a catcher of the future, you know, Ploiecki's window is closing just as quickly as Darno. Now, are you able to keep up with the the 51s, a Mets AAA affiliate, or, or not really? Sure. I mean, you, 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 you pay attention to box scores. You know, I, I'm not going to sit and tell you I, I fire up MILB.com and watch their games, but uh, you do at least read reports and, and um, you know, see what those guys are, are doing. I mean, you take some of it with a grain of salt, too, because if you if you see a, a player at AAA with, with 10 home runs in the first month, well, it might not be because he's capable of hitting 10 home runs in the majors. It's probably just because of that thin air in AAA. So uh, same thing for pitchers. You know, you set the Lugo, if you look at his ERA at, at AAA, it, it looks nothing like what we saw at the major league level. So you, you can only go by numbers so much in the Pacific Coast League. You, you kind of have to ask around and, and, and see how everybody's doing, see how everybody looks. Um you know, and kind of get the the firsthand reports from people who've who've seen them, or at least have, or maybe a secondhand report from somebody who's at least talked to somebody who has seen them. So you got to do a little research to to know who's really fired up at AAA and and who's ready and in line for the next promotion. Now, speaking of, what has the plan been for for David Wright? Well, he's trying to strengthen his shoulder and and make sure he can throw the baseball. At this point, he can't. So it's, uh, you know, obviously being a, a National League player, you have to be able to throw. And even, you know, people have said, well, first base, first base. But you have to be able to throw at first base, too. And, you know, David can't even do that right now. So it's it's just a matter of him getting the strength back in his shoulder to, to make pain-free throws. And once he's able to do that, then I think his his timetable as far as a return to the major leagues will will hasten but at, at this point you know there is no timetable because he can't throw and uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks he makes some progress if he does i think you'll see him soon after that of course there'll be some rehab games and, and the like you know he'll need uh, some time to to feel good after he he makes those throws so you certainly won't see him in april you may not even see him in may but i, I think he'll do whatever it takes at this point to, to try to come back as soon as he can Wow. Um, and, and I guess my final guy I want to ask about is, do you anticipate seeing a little bit of Gavin Cecchini this year at, at, at the Mets level? I mean, he made a splash for Team Italy and played well with them, in my opinion. Do you think he gets yeah, the call-up? You might. He's a guy who's, who's, who's caught their eye. He's, he's on the depth chart. Yeah, he's, he's there if they need him, and I think that he'll continue to hit. You know, he's, he's a good hitter. Uh, you know, I think at the major league level, he's not really going to be a guy who's more than uh, a utility type player, a guy who can kind of fill in and, uh, you know, play some second base. Maybe he can play short and third still, although he's, he's not shown that he can make the throw consistently from the left side of the infield, but he, he has shown he can handle himself at the plate. So yeah, I, I think at some point you will see him, um, but you know, he's not really first in line. You know, TJ Rivera is on the roster. Um, you know, if, if some, Second base needed a, a fill in. You know, TJ could do it. Um, you know, Wilmer Flores could even do it. So, you know, there's there's guys in front of him. The infield, as far as the Mets are concerned, is it's pretty stacked. You know, Matt Reynolds is a guy who could see a call up before Gavin Cicchini. So, you know, he's he's just got to continue to show that he can handle pitching at, at AAA and 
uh, I think the Mets will keep him in mind if something does start to look like it's open. Now, let's talk about you for, for a couple minutes here. After two full years in the Mets booth, you're going there, you're starting tomorrow, your third year. What has been the coolest moment you've been able to broadcast? Well, there have been a lot. I mean, it was, uh, you know, these two seasons have obviously been pretty good ones for the Mets. Um, you know, you look back, of course, both the 2015 postseason and uh, being able to cover a World Series in my first year with the team and, uh, you know, winning the National League pennant, that great series against the Dodgers to start the playoffs. I mean, all of those uh, were great moments. I got to call one of the games, uh, one of those Dodger games in the NLDS at, at City Field. Uh, Cespedes hit a big three-run homer uh, in one of the innings I, I did the play-by-play for. So, I mean, those those moments stand out. I mean, it's, it, you want to see uh, the team that you're 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 following every day do as as well as they can because you you know you, you get to cover it as far as they go so um you know that was that was a blast and, and hopefully there's more of that this year now Mets opening day i mentioned before is tomorrow april 3rd 1 p.m versus the braves we got Syndergaard versus tehran <clears throat> quickly what's one thing you you want to see in this game well you can't i mean you, you look at it's one game out of 162. It's it's one that will have a, a bigger crowd, maybe a, a, a louder buzz than most, because it is opening day. So you just hope the fans could get entertained by what they're coming to see. Uh, City Field should be packed tomorrow. I'm sure Syndergaard will be will be ready to fire it up because he's making his first opening day start. Uh, that's a big deal to a pitcher. It's a, it's it's especially in the Mets rotation. A tremendous nod of confidence from Terry Collins to to give Noah the ball to start the year. So, uh, you know, you just you just hope that everybody has a, a good time out there. And, and, and you know, you, you can't. You know, if the Mets lose tomorrow, then it, it's just one game. I mean, you can't really uh, you can't get a feel for any type of vibe for the rest of the season because of tomorrow. But uh, you know, I, I think everybody will be fun to play a game that counts finally after a pretty long spring training. So. Uh, and I know all the guys are fired up to, to face Bartolo on Wednesday. So it, it's going to be a, a fun opening series with the Braves in town. And hopefully the weather's nice and, and everybody has a good time. You seem to be there. Good luck charm. So the sky's the limit for the Mets this year, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, Wayne. Can, just where can people follow you on social media? We know the radio part, but maybe on social media. Yeah, on my Twitter's pretty easy. Just my name, at, at Wayne Randazzo. Um, so you can you can follow me there and, you know, I'll, I'll I'll throw you some stuff as the as the season goes along, and uh, keep everybody grounded. I think that's what, that's what I feel like is my job as as the season unfolds. It's not always going to be uh, rainbows and sunshine, you know, from here until October first. There's going to be some bumps in the road. Got to take them in stride. It's a long season, and uh, you just hope at the end of it the Mets win as many games as possible, and that it's more than Washington because I think that'll be uh, once again the the top two teams in the East. Cool. And, and just let me get your opinion real quick. Vegas has the World Series set at uh, Red Sox-Cubs. You think they got the NL team wrong? Well, it's hard to hard to pick against the Cubs, but uh, it's also hard to pick for the Cubs because it's it's just tough to get back there two years in a row. Uh, Kansas City did it recently, but you know, they sort of did it with a different pitching staff. If you look at the Royals, of 2015, their starting rotation was almost entirely different than the Royals of 2014. So uh, it, it's tough to do that. It's actually why I like I like Cleveland to get back to the World Series better than the Cubs because 
you know, the Indians didn't have Danny Salazar and they didn't have Carlos Carrasco for most of that run last year. They'll be back this season. So uh, if you can if you can get some different pitchers, fresher pitchers, we, we saw with the Mets last year, it's tough to go back two years in a row, especially with the same pitching staff. The Cubs have almost exactly the same pitching staff. So uh, I think the Cubs are going to win uh, another 100 games possibly. I think they'll win the Central. Uh, it'll be tough, though, to, to go back through October and, and do what they did last year. So I think the Mets are as good a choice as any. I, I, I think the people are riding the Dodgers bandwagon. The Dodgers are a really good team. They've got to prove they can win in October. You know, they've had many chances recently and have not been able to do so. So uh, the pressure will be on them. I think Washington is certainly a team capable of it if they if they can bolster up their bullpen uh, for the ends of games. And you can never count out the Giants. I think that's still a really good team. So should be a, a fun pennant chase this year, and I think it'll be a good season. All right, Wayne. So I don't want to keep you too long, but thank you for uh, for checking in today and, and Good luck for the 2017 season for the Mets up there in the booth. All right, right, Danielle. Thank you. Thanks. So tune in to 710 AM WOR to hear Ween call the Mets games this season. And uh, also, I meant to say that Cleveland also was missing uh, Brantley's bat. Brantley was out of the lineup for a lot of the Cleveland Indians season. Did I say Browns? I meant Indians. Indian season. Uh, last year, so it'd be interesting to see what that would do should he be healthy. Okay, what the f- <laughs> It is a true story about a young boy named Christian Haupt who was born with a natural talent for baseball. At the age of two, Christian began sharing memories of a past life as a baseball player. Mommy, I used to be a tall baseball player. Yeah, one day you're going to be a tall baseball player. No, I was a tall baseball player. Tall like Daddy. Do you remember how you died? My body stopped working. And then what happened? I became Christian. My body stopped. I became Christian. I pretend to be my mommy. Do you remember where you were when you chose her? In the sky. Distraught by her son's uncanny revelations, Christian's mother, Kathy, embarked on a sacred journey of discovery that would shake her beliefs to the core and forever change her views on life and death. I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Thank right now beautifully written with integrity and humor this gripping story might change the way you choose to play this game called life
So there's this book called The Boy That Knew Too Much, which has is going to be adapted into a feature film, also called The Boy Who Knew Too Much. This is my what the F story of the week. This family believes that their son is the reincarnated spirit of Lou Gehrig. <laughs> so when this little boy Christian was two, let me, let me give you the story here. When this little boy Christian was two years old, he would tell his mom that he used to be a baseball player. He would recall stories of traveling to hotels by train. Allegedly, he hadn't been exposed to baseball or the train or train travel by that point in his life. He told his mom that he and Babe Ruth don't talk to each other. So the mom did the research and found that Ruth and Garrig, in fact, did have a falling out. Then she went to a psychiatrist, and yes, she also checked out a past life regression therapist both have encouraged this behavior and how they figured this out was they put her under hypnosis and they researched a story that about Lou Gehrig that she had told them (laughs) and they apparently it came out that it was true yes this lady believes her son is Lou Gehrig reincarnated what this is just ridiculous I'm sorry this is absolutely ridiculous whether you believe in reincarnation or not what two-year-old tells cohesive stories? I mean, to be able to tell a story as if you were Lou Gehrig talking to Babe Ruth, or to tell... Uh, does anybody know any two-year-olds? Because they tell babbling, non-coherent, anything. They don't say anything that makes any sense a two-year-old. So the book, The Boy That Knew Too Much, by the way, came out this week. It's been picked up by 20th Century Fox for a movie. And all I have here on my notes is a bunch of dollar signs. It's ridiculous. Some hard evidence that that lady has there. A psychiatrist and a past life regression therapist. What is that? And how does one become that? Because I would like to. Because you don't ever have to have any sort of inkling about anything. Past life regression therapist. Where is there one near here? Oh, there's one in New York. There's one in New Jersey, uh, Dr. Robert's Hypnosis. I, I would like to talk to this guy on the phone. Maybe next week when we get this guy on the phone. Uh, closest one to here is in Paramus. What? What? <laughs> this is not interesting. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Oh, my God. I wonder if this is covered under, under your insurance, past life regression therapist. Does Aetna cover that? Can someone get on that and see if Aetna covers that? Because I would like to see what I was in a past life. But you know what? I started thinking about this. In my past life, if you believe in it, I think I might have been either a doctor or football player. <laughs> because I like watching House and Grey's Anatomy, and I think I know a lot about doctor things. I always say if I wasn't a teacher, I'd be a doctor. But I really know a lot about football. So I'm going to start telling stories as if I was, I don't know, Vince Lombardi, and I'm going to start making people believe that I am Vince Lombardi reincarnated. Right? Italian-American. That, that's what I think. Joey Giggles. I know a lot about past life regression. Oh, really? <laughs> Chris Wynn thinks he was the, Dama, <laughs> the Dalai Lama. Jerry Live. Jerry's Live thinks he was Alexander the Great. You never had a past life, but I imagine you would have been a Chinese kitchen porter. I don't even like Chinese food. That doesn't even make sense. I don't even like Chinese food. So I think you're wrong. God, but really, this kid thinks he's Lou Gehrig. 
Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe this came about because of the Lou Gehrig, the ice bucket challenge. Maybe the kids started watching them. You did? You got a, a past life regression reading? Was it covered by insurance? And what'd they say? But I think this kid maybe gotten the idea of Lou Gehrig because of uh, what's recently been, been in the news in regards to, uh, you know, the ice bucket challenge. He's not picking Mickey Mantle. Kid's not picking Babe Ruth. He's picking Lou Gehrig. I think this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, he's just playing. He got it on a radio show. In your past life, I think you were a comedian. How's that sound? <laughs> Someone said you were Al Capone. Ah, Al Capone. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I just think that is absolutely ridiculous. And I think I will not go and see this movie. And I think I will not go and buy this book because I think it's a gigantic scam. And shame on you guys for believing in that, in my opinion. Sorry. Sixty minutes overtime. Hurry up, offense with Danielle McCartan. All right, so we got the New Jersey Devils up first here. The New Jersey Devils have the day off after being blanked by the Flyers 3-0 in Philadelphia last night in the battle of the basement of the Metropolitan Division. Patrick Eliash, after 20 seasons in the NFL, all with the Devils, and two Stanley Cup championships, has announced his retirement at the end of this season. He is the Devils' all-time scorer in goals scored, assists, points, power play goals, power play points, and game-winning goals. His number 26 is set to be retired next season, only the fifth jersey to be retired in New Jersey Devils history. The Rangers lost in dramatic fashion to the Pittsburgh Penguins at the Garden Friday night. Sidney Crosby netted the game winner in overtime. That was a shootout, by the way, in the victory for the Penguins as they edged the Rangers 4-3. The Rangers host the Flyers in a divisional matchup today at the Garden at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. In the Islanders news, the Friday night the Islanders defeated the Devils 2-1 at the Prudential Center. The win did not come without a price. Captain John Tavares is likely done for the season after suffering what looked to be like a hamstring injury. The Buffalo Sabres will host the Islanders at 3 p.m. Eastern today. And moving over to the NBA, the Nets atop the Orlando Magic last night at Barclays Center, 121-111. Nets center Brooke Lopez dropped 30 points on his 29th birthday. The Atlanta Hawks are back in town today, and they're set to take on the Nets at 6 p.m. Eastern. They lead the season series 2-1. On Friday night, the New York Knicks beat the Miami Heat 98-94. The Knickerbockers will meet the Eastern Conference leading Boston Celtics at the Garden today at 1 p.m. in the matinee. If we can get a quick score update on that for you. The Knicks are mathematically ruled out of playoff contention, however. So the Knicks right now are losing to the Celtics 86-71. I'm Danielle McCartan, and that's your 60-minute overtime sports update. Here it is, the NCAA tournament. Let's pull up my bracket here. I am still in my best bracket in the 95th percentile, which is pretty good, but I have zero points remaining because I did have Duke winning. So I finished, well, right now I'm in 89,672nd place. I tried pulling up my ESPN one, but I think that was better because I did have 
Gonzaga UNC in that final. I wonder what my uh, percentage is there, but of course, ESPN is down. So last night I did, I was able to watch number seven South Carolina take on number one Gonzaga. Yes, it is Gonzaga, not Gonzaga. I want to talk about this. This I thought was pretty cool. Frank Martin, the coach of South Carolina, you know, the whole Cinderella story with the the South Carolina team. His jobs, his first couple jobs, Dairy Queen employee, he was a change boy at a billiards hall. He was a dishwasher, a busboy, a waiter, a short order cook, a bartender, a nightclub bouncer. Talk about past life, right? He was a, uh, a JV high school basketball coach, then a math teacher, then a varsity high school coach. And now here he is on the national stage. Well, he was on the national stage with his college team. I thought that was awesome. It's a great story. I was pulling hard for him. And uh, watching it last night, it was a up-tempo game. The guys were running up and down the court. Gonzaga has never made it to the Final Four. And Shemek Karnowski, he is one of... The, the two seven-foot-tall centers in the NCAA. Someone said that is the epitome of anything as possible. That's right. And you can totally see him being a bouncer. <laughs> I don't know. But Karnowski is one of two seven-foot-tall centers in, in the NCAA. And right before the half, he got massively poked in the eye. Like, bad. And I, I have this thing about eyes. Ugh. I couldn't even watch the replays, but that was pretty scary for Gonzaga for a little bit there because he is their team. But the guy who came in and in his place did step up with 32 minutes to go. There were three Zags starters at four fouls. Five, you're out. And and Karnowski was one of them. So with 32 minutes to go in the entire game, they were in a little precarious position there. I don't think any of them did actually foul out Karnowski. That's how you say it. Someone said you don't think you're pronouncing it. Guess what? I did research on this, buddy. Shemek Karnowski. That's how you say it. But anyway, in the in the beginning, in the mid-second half, Gonzaga opened up a 14-point lead right after halftime. Then you thought it was going to be smooth sailing. All of a sudden, with 7 minutes and 39 seconds to go, the momentum completely shifted. When South Carolina tied it up at 65, they had a 16-point run, tied it up at 65. The kids... We're going crazy in the stands. And Chris said, uh, Vegas boy Zach Collins was a stud. Going to be a great Zach. That's right. Collins, Collins picked up the slack for Karnowski. The South Carolina kids were going absolutely losing their minds in the stands. And uh, this guy, Killian Tilly, this is, this is the spot here. He hits, of Gonzaga, hits the two most important free throws of this guy's entire life with two seconds to go. And that's what ultimately put the game out of reach for South Carolina. There are no four-point plays in basketball. But can you imagine this kid? The entire world, I shouldn't say world, but sports world is watching you. you got the home crowd. you got a big showing of, of South Carolina fans. You're in the NCAA tournament. You're going to be advancing to the championship for the first time. He was a freshman. Chris, he was a freshman. You're going to send Gonzaga to the championship for the first time in the history of the school. And then you have to get up there at WOW as a freshman and hit two foul shots to seal the deal. And he did. 
He did. There were no four-point plays in basketball, as I just said. So even, you know, after they inbounded the ball, after the South Carolina inbounded the ball, they couldn't do much with it. Even if they hit a, a shot that went from one baseline to the other. Can't do much about that. A four-point lead. So the final score of that game was the Gonzaga Bulldogs 77, the South Carolina Gamecocks 73. Now, Oregon and North Carolina, number three, Oregon. Oregon, sorry, Oregon. That I'm not saying right. I know that. <laughs> Uh, number three, Oregon versus uh, number one, North Carolina. I actually didn't really watch this game because it was on too late. And that's uh, the whole argument about the World Baseball Classic. But it was on a little too late for my liking. But the final score was UNC 77, Oregon 76. And after last night's games, the national championship is set. It's going to be Gonzaga versus UNC, which is... Uh, Chris says North Carolina was basically handling handing the game to the Ducks, but they never capitalized. I was seeing that on Twitter uh, as I was scrolling through this morning when I woke up. But the, the national championship is set tomorrow night, Monday, April 3rd on CBS from University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. I believe tip-off is at 9 p.m., which I'm probably not going to be able to watch this game either. So uh, you guys can at me the score. Yes, and Chris Wynn, yes, I, I, I did... Forget to mention that the Tar Heels are two-point favorites to win. Now, I have friends that are Gonzaga fans, so they're not going to like that too much. But, hey, you never know. It is March Madness, right, after all? So uh, I think in my bracket that did have Gonzaga versus UNC, UNC in the final, I did have UNC winning. Tomorrow night, tweet me the score because I won't be up to watch it. Okay? And let's hear from, I had an interview uh, not long ago with Mohamed Sanu. He's the wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, he had just played in the Super Bowl. We had talked um, about a lot of different things. I was fortunate to catch up with him at Jason and Devin McCourty's bowling event in New York. We talked about his former coach. We're talking about college, you know. His former Rutgers coach is joining the Atlanta Falcons coaching staff. He interacts with fans on Twitter. Um, quarterbacking, playing in the Super Bowl against former teammates. We also talked about even playing against a former college roommate on the, on the Patriots. Uh, the NFL is planning to show players acceptable and unacceptable touchdown dances, what you can do and what you can't do. And uh, I did ask him about Raiders to Vegas before the vote took place. And I want to just give a special thanks to Pat Capra of Lunar Sports Groups and uh, of Randy Zellia, Back Sports Page, for having me at that event. <laughs> uh, and this is going to be, uh, this is me, Danielle McCartan, with Mohamed Sanu. I'm Daniel McCartan at Bullmore Lanes in Chelsea Pierce with Agent 12, Mohamed Sanu. Hey, hey, we're good. Now, listen, this is a Rutgers event through and through. It's always a homecoming for these guys. What is it like for you? Because I've seen you at the, the casino night, too, to support the McCordys. They're my brothers. I mean, love all these guys. Like, like they're my own blood, just different mothers, that's all. So uh, we've been through a lot together from days at Rutgers, uh, times in the NFL. We all stay in contact. We all hang out. So, you know, I get a call from one of them. Hey, Mo, I need you for this. Boom, I'm there. Yeah, cool. So it's, it's awesome. And you're bringing friends. Of course. Now, are you a good bowler, or is that? I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> let the cat out the hat just yet. Okay. But I'm decent. And we got guys cutting in front of the pocket. Mind you. No, he just cut in front of us. With a bottle don't of wine. Look at it. Where's he going? I don't Come know. Back here. He had leather sleeves too. So fashion no no. Cloth jacket with leather sleeves. I do not approve. All right. So um, 
know, your former coach, Kyle Flood, is going to be coming joining you in the Falcons. Yeah. Has he reached out to you yet to oh, show him yeah. the ropes? He, um, I saw him the other day, actually, there. They were in an offensive meeting. But he did text me immediately, send me a selfie of him in my locker. I actually <laughs> tweeted it out because it was so funny. I had a lot of comments saying, I didn't know Moe knew was that bright. Or I didn't, you know, Moe knew has aged a lot. But <laughs> it was pretty sweet. Um, it was, it was great to have him on, on staff because he's a great coach, great person, and I love him. Now, you're very interactive with your fans on Twitter. You've liked a couple of my stuff uh, you know, about this. How important is that for you? It's very important. A lot of you guys aren't like that. you got to show people that they're important. You know, they show how important you are to them. you got to show them right back. Yeah, that's cool. Now, are you eager to get back to the Wildcat formation and throw a couple passes? Um, <laughs> it's fun. It's a lot of fun, but... I don't know if I'm, I would say I'm eager to. If I'm asked to do it, I'm jumping right in. Can you quarterback for the Jets? <laughs> what was it like in the Super Bowl playing against your teammates? We talked about it a little bit before. It was awesome. I mean, I love every second of it. Even though it wasn't the outcome I wanted, I still loved it because both of my brothers, we had a great time out there, like competing against one another. I mean, we all talk trash to each other, because that's what we do. Even from back when we were in college together, all we did was talk trash to one another. So it was just like another day. No bad romance, huh? Of course not. No I, text, I text them right after the game, like, listen, like, hey guys, congratulations, I'm so proud of you guys, I love all you guys, you guys deserve it, hey, go live it up, you know, like, um, you know, they all got right back to me, and it was, it was awesome. I don't want to harp on it, but, you know, you've, you've been bad romance as a lady gone out on You've been sort of critical about the length of the halftime show, and, um... I actually wasn't really critical of it. They asked me, you know, did the length of it affect you? I just said it was different. I've never been there, you know, I've never been a part of anything like that. And then you would come on and say it was fake news. Because what they were saying is it wasn't said at all. I just said that it was different for me. Like, didn't, I didn't even know Lady Gaga was performing at halftime. No? No. Because I don't look into stuff like that. I prepare for a football game. So, like, when people say stuff like that, it just doesn't make any sense, you know? So, I mean, I just said it was fake news. Yeah, I don't want to harp on it, but the Super Bowl. Now, what are, what's the steps have you taken to ensure that the, the hangover is still not going to spill into the next season? I'm just focused on, you know, training and getting back ready to play. All right, my final two. Some current events here. You as a wide receiver, I think this would affect you. Now, they're, they're coming up with this video to show you what kind of touchdown dances you can and cannot do. What do you think about that? I love to dance, you know, I love having a good time, I love to entertain people, so it should be interesting. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it when I see it, so I just hope they don't uh, take out dance colors. Put a special question Alright, my final question. The Raiders are pretty much set to move to Vegas. The vote is going to be out Monday. What do you think about that? Maybe as an opposing team coming in to Las Vegas to play going to be something, um, especially the guys that like to gamble. I don't know. Um, I think it'll be it'll be it'll be different. I don't know. I've never played in Las Vegas or 
uh, only time I've gone to Las Vegas is go to the casino. So, uh, I don't know, it would be interesting. That was uh, myself and Mohamed Sanu. Obviously, clearly the guy is a character. <laughs> Quick check in with the Yankees score. The Rays are now winning 7-2. to the Rays are ahead of the Yankees 7-2, to two, and, uh, you know, anything's possible, but time is dwindling for the New York Yankees down there in Tampa. And that's going to do it for this week. So just some important dates to remember. Uh, the NFL Draft, April 27th. Devin McCourty, if you can't wait for that interview, uh, you can't wait to, to watch the whole thing, go on my YouTube channel, type in Coach McCartan on YouTube. Oakland Raiders fans should now root for the Dolphins, the only team that voted against the move. <laughs> The whole distraction thing is way overblown. NFL stars can party anywhere. Yep. Yes, they can. When there's a will, there's a way. So uh, NFL draft next week, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit, maybe possibly about the NFL draft and draft prospects. Again, that's uh, occurring on April 27th, though, the draft. I think it's a Thursday night from Philadelphia this year. Devin McCourty, that while having the full interview with Devin McCourty, two-time Super Bowl winning New England Patriots safety next week. I also want to talk about how the Jets have signed offensive lineman Jonathan Harrison. And we'll get a little bit into how the NFL is going to try to teach its players acceptable and unacceptable touchdown celebrations. And that'll be complete with my commentary with uh, my interview from Mohamed Sanu. Uh, if you guys want to check out my work, my writing, uh, always infused with my... <laughs> uh, always infused with my interviews and radio shows and, and everything and the like... That's my website, prosportsrundown.com, showing people on, on Periscope. Uh, thank you for being so interactive on Periscope today, everybody. That was great for me to see and even giving me some questions to ask some of the guests today. That was cool. Uh, Twitter, at Coach McCartan. You can follow me there. YouTube, search Coach Space, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N is the correct spelling on that. Uh, SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan is where this is going to go as soon as I have the time to edit it and put it up. And on demand. Again, I'm also uh, on SoundCloud, but also on iTunes. You can bring it right to your phone. Whenever it gets uploaded, it goes directly to your phone. You can't miss it. Just type in Coach Space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N in the iTunes store. Tune in radio if you have a Sonos system. It's 60-minute overtime is what you're searching for. And Android users, you are not left out. Play.google.com slash Coach McCartan, but no spaces on that. So uh, thank you to everybody on Periscope. And checking out on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan on the live stream, on the video live stream. We had a packed show for you today. Um, what did we talk about? I don't even know. I don't even have the list of things. Uh, the Vegas Raiders is what we started with. We had talked to Tom Barton from Fox Sports. Then Chris Wynn from Fox Sports Las Vegas called in. Mohamed Sanu. We also talked about um, the Mets with Wayne Randazzo. Very in-depth conversation about the Mets. We talked about the World Baseball Classic. What else? The NCAA tournament. A little bit about the Yankees. The Yankees are still trailing, by the way. 7-2 is still the score. Um, I don't even know what else. Great show today. I think it was a good show. And uh, and that's that. So I'll see you guys uh, next Sunday. I'm not sure on time, but it's either going to be at 11 a.m. or at 1.30 p.m. I'm not sure, but I will stay tuned, guys, to Twitter and to Facebook, and I will tell you, um, you know, when it's going to be up next. So I just want to thank you for checking out my show. This is 60 minute overtime and I'll, and I'll see you guys uh I'll see you guys next week, huh? Thanks.
Follow me on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search with no spaces Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.